Well, brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. Kim folk, let us pray. Holy God, by your spirit you've sown the word within our hearts. Let it spring forth now and receive the water of righteousness, that it may bear forth a harvest for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. When I drive to uh, work or anywhere in the summer, this summer specifically, I have to drive through a herd of bunnies. In my farm, it is though uh, truck bearing thousands of bunnies crashed and all of the bunnies escaped. And they blanket the lawns. It is like watership down. We've never had so many Eastern cottontails in our lives. This is an object of public comment. The matter has come to the neighborhood Facebook group. It is only mere moments before this reaches the ears of the editors of the Sun and News, our local newspaper, which there are dozens of subscribers. This, pre this preponderance of bunnies is unfortunately my fault. Yes, I am responsible for the thousands of cottontails that are decimating the sweet pea gardens in our neighborhood. I confess to you, my confessor, alone, for I shall not share this information in the neighborhood Facebook group, <laughs> because I do not wish to be the object of their scorn. The reason that there are so many bunnies this year is because last year, in my first time as a relatively uh, new but somewhat productive chicken farmer, I found out that there were coyotes on our property. And I did what I was raised to do. I put out a little bit of bait and I sat in my turkey blind and I dispatched the coyotes. And uh, after doing so, I uh, spoke to a friend of mine about this and, and uh, he, he, he used to work out west on farms out west and he said, my God, you're really becoming a farmer. And I took that to mean a, a compliment. And I said, why, thank you. He said, no, I meant you're becoming a damned fool. <laughs> I said, excuse me? I have successfully dispatched the coyotes that are threatening my beloved chickens. He said, yes, and next year you're going to have a bigger problem on your hands, and I can't wait to see it. <laughs> he explained to me a couple of things that I didn't know. First is that in southwest Michigan, we've got two flavors of coyotes. We've got what are called stationary packs. This is a mother coyote who has a den of pups. They live in one area, and they assiduously avoid human contact. They don't go on property. They don't go on farms. There's another flavor of coyote called the vagrant wandering coyote, and they have a lot of different names for it. It's usually an unmated male or like a, a secondary male that didn't get a mate. They wander, and those are the ones that'll eat your chickens. Those were not the coyotes that I took out. So by ending this coyote family that I ended, what happened was every night the coyotes do a check-in. They all howl and yip. I'm sure you've heard it. The howls and yips of coyotes can be heard at a distance of about six miles. That is their roll call. When they performed roll call after my successful hunt, they found out that there was an open space for them to go to and they went there. A new family moved in. This new family 
because they're newly established, stay away from the farms in the area where their primary food was eastern cottontail rabbits. So now I have caused a rabbit explosion. I ran the race, and by doing so, I lost the marathon. I checked in with our local conservation folks, and they sent me some other devices that I can use to keep the coyotes away without having to send them to Coyote Valhalla. And hopefully next year we will have many fewer cottontails. But this is this complicated relationship that we have to develop in our lives between what we know in our gut and what we know in our head. I was following my gut. My gut said coyotes eat chickens. Get rid of the coyotes, you'll protect the chickens. That was what my gut said. I was raised to think that way. It's a perfectly natural way of thinking. And it's entirely wrong. It's the worst possible thing that you can do. Not for my chickens, but for my sweet peas. They're gone. Every last one of them has left this earth. Wisdom means actually stopping, pausing, thinking, considering alternative options, learning from the wisdom of others who have gone before you. Jesus wants us to understand this because he knows that we're not in this thing for a sprint. We're in it for a marathon. It's getting harder and harder to remember that these days because we see a lot of stuff on the news about big flashy conversions. There's rock stars going to church now. They did mega churches and everything is really cool. And this happened in the 1960s too. I, I know a lot of you remember Billy Graham's revivals and you remember it was Elvis Presley himself received uh, the, the Holy Spirit during an altar call. John Wayne knelt and was uh, uh, saved by Billy Graham. These were big deals uh, back, back then, and that was what really shot off the, the evangelical movement that we are living through in America right now, uh, where these big celeb, Ronald Reagan was saved by Billy Graham. Saved. Now, I had to put that in quotes, because last time I read my Bible, Billy Graham isn't in there. Couldn't save a soul if he wanted to. It's only Jesus and the Holy Spirit that saves people. But uh, if you read the record books, I guess Billy Graham got a few of them there heaven, uh, on his own. That was a big deal. Now, of course, we know in hindsight 2020, we look back at these gentlemen, and not to cast dispersions, but it uh, doesn't look like there was a whole lot of difference between what they did before and after they were saved. Seems like they ran a sprint, and they failed to show up at training the next Sunday for a marathon. In my work, I encounter a lot of local politicians, um, unfortunately. And... Uh, a lot of them are simply trying to do the best they can with the hand that they've been dealt. I'm talking House representatives, local senators, things like that. But for whatever reason, there's a flavor of uh, po political critter out there that loves to claim the cross, wrap themselves around the flag and the cross and wave their Bible and try to tell you that they're saved, saved, saved. And oftentimes what I'll do is approach them with an attitude of appreciation because I'd love to know what church they worship at. So I almost at, always ask him, say, wow, oh, I'm delighted to meet another Christian who is so committed to the fight for justice and equality. Um, you mentioned that you have a very important relationship with Jesus Christ. Which church do you attend? That is a snare in their path. More than once, I have been separated from this politician by one of their employees, saying, no more questions, because <laughs> they don't go to church. They haven't been to church since they were a teenager. But if they do name a church, 
My follow-up question is I would love to congratulate your pastor on having created such a wonderful formative disciple. Who's your pastor? Who's the pastor of your church? I have never received anything but radio silence on that end. Or even if they know a church within their district, they don't go. They don't know their pastor. Why is this the case? Then when we do have a politician who does have a relationship with the pastor, we tend to tear him to shreds. I'm not exactly the biggest fan of Barack Obama. I haven't made that plain, but all the issues that I had with the man, he had a relationship with Jeremiah Wright that went on for decades. For decades that man sat in church next to his wife and, and then his children had them baptized in that church by that man. Listened to every sermon that he had. They asked that question to Barack Obama because they wanted to pin him to the wall. They thought he was a Muslim or something. They said, what church do you go to? He said, Trinity, UCC, of course. I've gone there my whole life. I said, well, what's your pastor's name? Jeremiah Wright. I can tell you where he went to seminary. Well, of course, then what they do, they dug up all of his sermons and found one they didn't like and splashed it all over the news. So I guess you can't win. But my point is this. There are many who would claim salvation, who would claim the experience of the Holy Spirit, who are adept at running the race. They'll get out there and shoot that coyote, but they won't take responsibility for the rabbits that follow in its wake. They want a quick solution to a lifelong problem. Jesus doesn't put too fine a point on it. He says that many will be sown on rocky ground. They're going to receive that word with joy. As soon as the sun comes up, they're going to wither and fade. They're going to fall away. Because they were never prepared to run the marathon of faith. Now, I've sent home hundreds of Christians. I've closed their eyes. I've sat bedside with them while they departed from this world. And in the words of Martin Luther, opened their eyes on eternity. Especially those who are the children of the veterans of the Second World War possessed of a very quiet faith. It is a mistake to think that people who have a quiet faith have a weaker faith or a somehow less fruitful faith. I believe, in fact, that the inverse is true. I am tasked with saying goodbye to a generation of Americans in this country, often referred to as the quiet generation, who have this faith that has a depth and a richness that comes from going to church every Sunday, running a marathon. And these are not the people that are going to stand on the street corners or protest outside health clinics. These are the people who have an abiding trust in the faithfulness of God and who lead lives that testify to this faith. Marathons. We're actually evolved for that, you know. Do you know that, like, human beings can outrun any other animal? We, that's, it's true. It seems crazy when I say it, but scientists have figured out uh, the earliest hunters, though they go chasing after an animal, this is a long, we're talking, like, back in the 1920s. I'm just kidding. This was, like, this was like a half a million years ago, out in the savanna in Africa. We evolved as endurance runners. We would chase after a gazelle and jog. The gazelle would bolt, go 10 miles down the plains, and then we'd keep jogging. And we would keep running that gazelle until it was exhausted. And that's how we'd win the 
fight. We did it by running marathons, not sprints. Today, human beings, there are human beings out there that will run 100 miles. 100 milers, they call them. They're not stopping asleep. These people are running, eating, drinking water, and they keep running. There is no other animal on the planet Earth that can do that over land. That's such an amazing evolutionary gift. Likewise, with our faith, we have minds that can receive the word and train ourselves upon it, be renewed Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, if we decide to train for the marathon and not the sprint. Well, there are also those who are sown among thorns. I have a uh, relationship with uh, Kent County Parks, uh, the county parks system. I live very close to a very precious place called the Two Rivers Green Space. This is a, a bit of land that was very intelligently put aside by some of our ancestors to be preserved for public use. It's where the Coldwater River empties into the Thorn Apple. It's right on the very southern edge of Kent County, near Berry County. If any of y'all are trout fishers, you know about the Coldwater River. It is a confluence of two rivers, and the land, about 400 acres surrounding that, has been protected and given into the trust and care of the Kent County Parks. They are not exactly a resource-rich uh, municipal agency. They don't have enough rangers to run things, and so they use volunteers. I called them and asked if I could volunteer, and they said, yes, we'll put you in charge of the whole dang thing. <laughs> Said, you got to pass a background check. I said, okay. Um, I said, on account of it's a volunteer position, is there any reason that my daughter uh, couldn't also be uh, in this role? He said, we don't care. If she can pass a background check, she can be a land and trail steward. I said, well, she's six years old. They said, well, we'll, we'll just fill the forms out, man. I'm busy. So now uh, Nathan Dannison and Josephine Dannison are the co-land uh, and trail stewards of the Two Rivers Green Space. This is her first job. She takes it very seriously. She has a little hat and a little badge that she wears. And we were walking through that park with uh, somebody from the Michigan, uh, uh, from MSU Ag Extension, identifying invasives, uh, which we're trying to get away from using the word invasive plants. We say non-native plants. When you say invasive plants, it's kind of like you're blaming the plant for being where it shouldn't be. Plant had nothing to do with it. We say these are non-native plants, or they're plants out of place, and the big one there at that park's called Glossy Buckthorn, and it grows, and uh, it grows very, very quickly. We were looking at it, and the, the, the scientist, the agricultural scientist, was explaining their particular frustration with the Glossy Buckthorn. It's rhizomatic, it comes up fast, it's all this stuff. But the thing that seemed to really irk this woman was that it produces an abundance of berries. A glossy buckthorn in full uh, uh, harvest mode is covered in thick purple berries, just absolutely covered with them. And they're toxic. And it's not only that they're toxic to humans and mammals, they're not good for the birds. None of our native birds can eat, digest, or get any good from these buckthorn berries. So they're just, a, a, in her words, a useless plant. Now, I don't know if it's true that anything that God puts on this planet is useless. It probably has its use wherever it's supposed to live. But Jojo said, in her wisdom, at the age of six, well, yeah, those are cheater plants. And we both kind of, they're what? She said, well, they're cheater plants. They cheat. And we said, well, how's, it, how's that? 
And she explained, they come up first before all the other plants. And they grow faster than everybody else. And nobody eats their berries. And so they can just spread their berries out. And it was kind of like one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard a child say. Because it's true. This is a plant that chokes off all of the other plants that are around it. Because it cheats. It cheats. It uses the resources that have been set aside for the plants that were native to that region in order to grow. And Jesus says to us, That sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. The cares of the world and the lures of wealth. The easy sermon would be to preach about the lures of wealth. Uh, for, for me, here anyway. There's some churches downtown where they don't really like to talk about that stuff. But I want to talk about the cares of the world. What does it mean when the cares of the world choke off the word? There have been so many times in my career, in my ministry, where I've had to go before a congregation and ask them to do something unreasonable. Whether it's to open the building up for people who don't have shelter to sleep indoors during a winter storm, or let people bring their service dogs to worship, or smaller things like help us fund a bus stop on a street corner or something like that. But then there have been times where I've asked the church to do something they consider unreasonable. March in a protest, table at a pride event, violate federal law by harboring a fugitive from Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Even smaller things, fly a pride flag. So often has it been that people come to me and they say, Pastor, we're not opposed to what is in your heart. We agree with you. We just don't want to expose our church to a lot of public scrutiny. We don't want to uh, rock the boat too much. You know, this is a little bit too radical. And these people are liberals almost always. They're comfortable. They're conflict averse. They're volunteers. They don't want to have to deal with conflict. That's the cares of the world. It's possible to be on the right side of history in your mind and in your heart, do all the stuff that we have on that sign, and get through life without any conflict at all. You just don't ever have to really do that stuff in public. If you do that stuff, protect the environment, care for the poor, forgive, reject racism, love God, embrace diversity. If you just do all of that in your heart and you don't tell anybody about it, you get to feel really good about yourself. But uh, Jesus says that the cares of the world yield nothing. You simply care for the world. Well, that's all well and good, but it doesn't yield anything. Dr. West says that Justice is what love looks like in public. So yes, it is good to learn to do these things, but more importantly, to produce a yield, we've got to do them in public. We've got to do them in a way that other people see, even when it becomes challenging, even when it says that we will receive ridicule, that we will receive persecution. But when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, 
We are not going to wither and fall away, for we are marathon runners, sown into good soil. But it's not just wealth that can choke us off. It's also the fear of the reaction, the response, the persecution that we might face for doing the right thing out there into the world. Well, what is all of this for? What is it for? Because we don't have to do this. We can go out and shoot coyotes all day long. What are we trying to do? We're trying to produce a yield. And in the context of this post-capitalist American society that is so obsessed not only with wealth, but also with celebrity, that yield, we might be tricked into thinking, will produce security and safety for us individually, for us, for me. But none of this is for us. None of this is for us. It's for God. It's all for God. This entire project, this entire creation, everything that we do together as a people, all of it is for the glory of God. Jesus says that we will indeed bear fruits and yields. So it's not always going to be the same. In one case, a hundredfold. In another case, 60. In another case, 30. But Isaiah says what it's for. What it's for. And it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. It's easy to fall into this way of thinking that says that we come to church to get better. Or we sit here on Sunday to get right with God, recalibrate our moral compasses. In some churches, they tell you if you show up every Sunday, you'll get rich. Or especially if you donate to the church. It'll, it'll come right back to you. We don't do these things for ourselves, Christians. We do them to give thanks and praise to God. That's what it's for. That's a hard thing to figure out because that runs directly against everything that we're told out there in the world. Buy this car and you'll be safer. Wear these clothings and you'll attract more attention. Do this thing and the TikTok algorithm will give you a bunch more followers. This is how you make friends, win friends, and influence people. What's the Dale Carnegie say? But the goal, the goal is never just for us to eat that fruit, for us to have that yield for our own personal safety. It's so that we can give it to God, our Creator. It's the only way for giving thanks, for having the gift to be allowed to participate in this beloved creation, the blessing to be a creature on this earth. The wondrous cosmic mystery of being the universe observing itself. What a precious gift. So what do we do with that gift? How do we say thank you? We do the things that Jesus has taught us to do. We bear fruit. Not for us, but to give thanks to God. Because all of the things of this world will wither and fade. All of them. But the one truth, the one light of hope is found in our resurrection, in our return to our source. The one thing that is certain is that we will go home. And when we do, let us not Show up empty-handed. I can't think of anything worse. 
but rather bearing a yield of, of fruit, of gifts for our Creator to be able to kneel at the throne of God's glory and mercy and say, with all that you gave to me, God, with all that you invested with me, with all of the seeds that you sowed into my life, behold, 100-fold I've produced in this creation because I love you and because I'm grateful and because of your faithfulness to me. I have gone out into your garden and I have toiled and I have produced this yield of love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, justice, all of that which you desire, all of the sacrifices which you've asked for, Lord, I've provided. And God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to close by saying that I heard something distressing after the close of our General Synod number 35 of the United Church of Christ. I know all of you were following the proceedings of the General Synod with bated breath. I could barely turn off the live stream. There in Indianapolis. No, but somebody said, you know, they said, embracing and operating on the metrics of this world, you know, our denomination has lost membership every year since its creation. And that's true. We started the United Church of Christ in the late 50s and early 60s. We had two, three million, I don't know. And every year we've lost members. We're down to, I think we're down to 890,000, something like that in the United States. But what have we accomplished? 70 years, what have we accomplished? We have opened our doors to millions of people who long for nothing other than a relationship with Jesus but have been told no at the doors of the church over and over and over again. We have created pathways for re racial reconciliation, justice, healing, and reparations. We've been a voice that stood up and said no when the powers of the world wanted to build walls to keep out the poor and the hungry. We've been the ones that showed up and said, the way that God makes a person to love is the way that God intends them to love. And far be it from humankind to stand between God and God's creation and call them unworthy. In the brief lifespan of the United Church of Christ, I will testify that we have accomplished more witness for change and justice in the kingdom of God on earth than any other Christian movement in history. That is an astounding victory. And it is accounted as nothing by the standards of the world if the only metrics that you're able to count are how many members we have in our churches. How many members did St. Augustine have? How many members did St. Francis have? These were movements that changed the world. And they were never accounted as movements by the standards and metrics and rubrics of the world. Are we wealthy? I don't know. Are we powerful in number? I don't know. Do we produce a harvest of justice, goodness, mercy, and joy that will follow this denomination throughout history as a memorial to God for an everlasting sign? That I can give a resounding yes to. I am absolutely certain that whether it be 100 years from now or 1,000 years from now, they will see the United Church of Christ 
as a movement that changed Christendom more quickly and with greater impact than any other movement in the history of this church. Because if that, if that wasn't true, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't true, I'd go be with the movement that was doing that. But that's why I'm here. You have been sown into good soil, Christians. And though you may go out there into the world that uses different metrics and measurements and rubrics to, to figure out who's successful and who's not successful, know this. Doing love in public bears fruit that we return to God as an everlasting sign and there is no greater reward in this life. And so thank you. Thank you not only for being on the right side of history in your hearts and your minds, but for actually doing it in public. We risk persecution, ridicule, and even indignation from the powerful. And the next time you meet a person who wears their Christianity like a slogan on a t-shirt, ask them what church they go to. And ask them who their pastor is. Keep coming to church, folks. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And with all that I have, I promise you that the reward is worth the investment. Amen.